0: I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. This meeting is being recorded. Good morning, everybody. Oh, let me just mute. Okay, good morning, everybody. Here we are on the week of Purim, heading up to Purim. And we're living in very uncertain times once again. Um, We know that two years ago was the beginning of the COVID virus, which happened really right around this time period. Purim, everybody was together and sending Shalach Manos. And then the next thing we knew, Ah, which was just a terrible thing people were literally dropping dead from the virus and of course everybody was recalling how together we were over the COVID without any knowledge of how um, aggressive the virus was at the beginning and especially for people who were whose uh, physical self was undermined or older people etc and unfortunately We've been living in a time up until today of anxiety and fears, and now it's like we're on shaky ground again with this war in the Ukraine, where again, you know, just around forum time a couple of weeks ago, this war began, and people are fearful of whether the war is going to spread to other parts of the world, and this madman or Amalek, if you like, of our times is threatening to take over the entire, uh, probably, world, if he could. Um, but for now, whatever, just um, taking over all these countries that he feels are, um, you know, a bruise to the Russian people, you know, and their their greatness that other peoples, you know, have taken what, what they want to take back, right? What What they say is theirs. And so this kind of aggression and... <clears throat> you know, the fear that it breeds there, of course, and among all of us is very unsettling. And I think that um, more than ever, and of course, always, more than ever, we're being tested in Emunah, in, in our belief, our belief in God, our belief that there's a plan, our belief that this is all part of, you know, the world shaking, so to speak, before Mashiach comes. And of course, the Main counter attack to the consciousness of Emunah and Hashem and everything that Judaism believes is, of course, the opposite force, which is characterized by Amalek. We call Amalek, right? Amalek is the anti God in this world. It's everything that it is literally translated Amalek as being evil incarnate in this world, it's the opposing force. To everything that's good and moral and ethical to all the Jewish values and of course the ultimate Jewish belief, which is one God who requires of us to live in an ethical and moral world, but all the tyrants of history have always said, who is this God, and of course they make themselves into a God and try to rule the world as a replacement for God, so What I wanna talk about today, and I've got a source sheet too that I'm gonna refer to for you, is the origins of Amalek, you know, and how Amalek still exists in this world today, even though we may not know who they are as a nation, and how each of us are affected by the messages of Amalek, and we need to recognize them in ourselves. Because the more that we weed out the Amalek within ourselves, the more we are doing the mitzvah of destroying and obliterating Amalek, we had a mitzvah this week in the in in in, in the um, in Shul, uh, an obligation from the Torah to hear the reading of Parsha Zachor. Now, if you don't go to Shul the whole year and don't hear one Parsha read, you have not done anything wrong. You know, it's beautiful to go to Shul. It's beautiful to hear the Parsha, but it's amazing that. This little piece of the Torah, it's actually an obligation on men, women, and children over the age of Bar Mitzvah to hear this piece of the Torah read, right? The same is true of Megillus Esther. If you don't, you know, get to Shul on Shubuos, you miss Megillah's Rus, or you don't hear Shirah's Shirim on Pesach, you haven't done anything wrong. But we have a mitzvah, a requirement to hear the Megillah read. And right, we know that you know every word has to be heard, and if a word is missed, then we get, we have to go back and make sure we hear it, because you know because what what is it about the Megillah? What is it about this story of Esther that is so important, that is so integral to Emuna and to being a Jew? You know, just to add to this, we're told that in the times of Mashiach, when I actually have to quote here. The memory of the miracle of Purim will never be forgotten from the children of Klal Yisrael. Even if in the future of all of Nach will be forgotten, Megillus Esther will still remain. Now, we're also told that after Mashiach comes, the only holiday that we will be celebrating is Purim. No more cleaning for Pesach, okay? The miracles of Pesach, of Yitzchia Mitzrayim, will pale in comparison to the miracles that we will witness in the next and final redemption. Now, of course, there's always birth pangs, right? We know about the birth pangs before a birth, and the time period before Mashiach is always likened to the birth pangs of labor before a child's born. There's a lot of screaming, <laughs> whatever, figuratively, metaphorically. It's it's a it's a real shakeup, right? It's it's a, it's it, it, And so, too, you know, this is the idea. But Purim is the only holiday we'll celebrate because the lessons and the messages of Purim and the overcoming of Amalek and all of these ideas are are messages that are going to stay with us forever. And one of the main messages of the Megillah is that the, the story took place over nine years. You know, when we read it, we read it in a half an hour, 40 minutes. Okay, all done. We did it. But this is a story that took place over nine years. And while the Jews were involved in it and in the middle of it, like we know when we're involved in our lives, we're in the middle of things, we can't really see clearly. We don't really understand what is going on. But the whole idea of the Megillah is that when they were able to look back over those nine years, where, of course, we know one of the main things in the Megillah is that God's name is not mentioned because it was a period when God was hiding, so to speak. But what they were able to do is look back and see that even if God's face was hiding, his hand was always there outstretched. And if you connect the dots, going back, looking back, you see the incredible hashkacha pratis, right? The divine intervention, the divine supervision how everything happened in its right time. Everybody was lined up for the uh, turning over of the annihilation of the Jewish people to an actual time of complete redemption from the the suffering and the oppression that could have been. On top of that, we know that the Jews reaccepted the Torah in the time of Purim, and they reaccepted it with love. There's an idea that the first time we got the Torah on Mount Sinai, we were, so to speak, coerced. We accepted it with a little bit of fear. God literally, there's a medris that says, God picked up Mount Sinai and held it over our heads and said, Either accept my Torah or this will be your burial place. So that sounds like coercion to me. (laughs) But there's another idea too that at Mount Sinai, we could. We, we accepted the Torah Shabihtav, the written Torah. But at Purim time, we also accepted the oral Torah, the Torah Pah. And I was listening to a rabbi who was explaining that the written Torah, you know, the five books of Moses, of course, it takes, you know, some, some effort to study it and to know it, but it's no comparison between that and the Torah Pah which is, you know, separates the men from the boys, which is a much more difficult thing to study. And um, the fact that the Jews accepted it on pura meant that they went to a much higher level of acceptance of all of the Torah, both the written and the oral, because, you know, that's another class, how we can't, we can't have one without the other. Okay, what I fo- want to focus on today is Amalek, and how Amalek undermines our own emuna, and how they do this, okay? So let's start from the beginning. So first of all, where, where do we, where, who does Amalek come from? So for those of you who don't know, Amalek is a descendant of Esau, okay? And the reason why Amalek plays such an important feature in the Purim story is because Haman is a direct descendant of Amalek. Amalek was originally a person who became a nation. Okay. And this nation, which comes from Asa, their vendetta of, you know, Asa sonat at Yaakov. Asa hates Yaakov. This is literally a halach. That Asa will always hate Yaakov until Mashiach comes. That's the way it will be. Asa is compared to a, a chazir, right? A pig. Pig that you know holds up its hoofs and says, "Look, look, I'm kosher. I'm kosher. On the outside, I look kosher, but of course, a pig doesn't chew its cud." But interestingly, the same word for chazir, if you change the vowels underneath, it reads chazor, which means to return. We have an idea that in the times of Mashiach, even Asab will return. All of the negative forces in the world, all of those that wanted to destroy the Jewish people that are not beyond repair will turn around and join the Jewish people, right? Well, that's, that's the whole idea of Mashiach, that all human beings, there'll be peace and human beings will unify together under one God. So um, Amalek is this the, called the first, the same way that the Jewish people are called the first in terms of spreading godliness in the world and being God, so to speak, chosen, you know, the first nation, Amalek is also called the first. He's the first, again, in terms of the anti-God, in terms of no God consciousness, in terms of, you know, there is no such thing as God. Do what you want. Everything is random. And so these are the forces that are at work. Okay, so where do we first see Amalek in the Torah? Okay, so I'm going to have, actually, I'm going to share a screen with you. And let me just make sure I get the right one. I hope. No, that's not it. Is it here? Where did it go? I don't see it now. Oh, no. No. Sorry. Well, you know what? Let me try one more thing. Um. Hey, can you see that? Okay, great. Okay. So the first place that we see Amalek is in Parsha Shemos. The Jewish people have left Egypt. They've gone through Kriyas Yamsut, the splitting of the sea. They've seen miracle after miracle of Hashem taking them out. And suddenly they come to this place called Masa and Mariba, or it ends up being called Masa and Mariba, which means a place of contention and argument and fetching, right? And the fetching begins because even though they have water, they're worried that their water supply is diminishing and they panic and they get upset and they basically start yelling and screaming about, you know, why did you take us out of Egypt and and, and, and what are we going to do And there's no water? And as you see in this Pasukah Shem Hamakom Masa Umareva, I'll read the Israel. This place was called Masa and Mariva because of the contention of the children of Israel. The Al Nasotam es Hashem Laimor, Hayesh Hashem Im Ayin. They tested the Lord, saying, Is God with us or not? Okay? So at this point. Just after this is when Amalek attacks. Okay, so what's so bad about them saying, is Hashem with us or not? So that's the first thing I want to talk about. So basically, here's a people that have seen Hashem's open miracles, one after the other, and now they're asking the question, is Hashem with us or not? So there's a parable that's given of a father who has a child on his shoulders. And the child's sitting on the daddy's shoulders, and while the father's walking, the child's pointing at different things along the way, saying, Daddy, I want that. Daddy, give me that. Oh, Daddy, I like that. And daddy's busy getting everything for the kid. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks by them, a passerby, and the child turns to this man walking by and says, Hey, have you seen my father? Um, so you know, I was. Talking to my son about this, and he said, There's a rabbi Gorelik who said, like, What's with this kid? Is he crazy? Is he nuts? He said, But no, this kid represents us. He represents, yes, he is crazy. He is nuts. He's sitting on his father's shoulders. And he asked this guy, where is my father? So, what does his dad do? His dad takes him off his shoulders, he puts him down on the ground, and that second later, a dog bites the kid. And this mashal, this parable is saying that the dog is Amalek. Okay, so what is this all about? We're carried by Hashem, but we still have our doubts. When everything is good, we say Hashem is here. But when things go wrong, we say, hey, what have you done for me lately? What's going on here? Where are you? We take God for granted when everything goes well. And We don't even attribute all of our success to Hashem. Oh, it was my hard work. It was my talent. It was my connections. But when things go wrong, all of a sudden, oh, Hashem, where are you? You've disappeared. So we expect things to go our way. This is part of our spoiled generation. I remember, I don't know who said it, but somebody said, you know, in the olden days, They expected everything to go wrong, you know, like, I don't know if there was no pogrom that day, it was a good day, right? (laughs) They expected everything to go wrong. And if something went right, if it was a quiet day, they said, wow, this is a blip on the radar screen. This is wonderful. This is great. You know, we've got food in the fridge. We've got a chicken for Shabbos. But we're the complete opposite. We expect everything to go perfectly. And God forbid if that dishwasher breaks down right? Or suddenly, you know, or kids in trouble at school, or whatever it is, where are you? Where are you, Hashem? So this is basically, obviously, a lack of emuna. <clears throat> and again, this whole idea of where are you comes from this idea of Safegh. By the way, the word amalek, ayin mem, lamet kuf, and the word safek, which means doubt, have the same numerological value. They both equal 240. Okay, you can do the math. I mean, you can, you can look at the letters if you want. I can spell it out for you. But Safek is, the summit is 60. The pay is 80. The Kuf is 100. And Amalek, Ayin is 70. Mem is 40. Lamed is 30. And Kuf is 100. So this concept of doubt, is going to come up over and over again in different ways. Okay, so let's go to the um, next place where we have another idea of Amalek. And just, you know, before we we move on, the question we want to ask ourselves with the first one is where do we have a little bit of Amalek in us? You know, when things don't go right, all of a sudden, you know, where are you Hashem? Even though 90% of our life is good, and we have so many many blessings, and we're even using the mouth that Hashem gave us to kvetch, right? To ask, where are you? You know, if we go back to the basics, the fact that we're walking and moving and alive every morning is only because Hashem allows us to be. And with that same mouth, we're saying, where are you, Hashem? You're not here with me. So this is one of the tests of Imuna. You know, where is Hashem when things aren't going the way I want it or when things aren't going well or on a global scale, when we're in a time of difficulty, of, with a lot of questions and a lot of worries. And by the way, this class should be as a for our brothers and sisters who are stuck in the Ukraine and other places and God willing, you know, they should get out and they should be reunited with their families and Mirza Hashem, we should see the end to this very, very quickly. And, um, you know, for all mankind, this should bring us closer to, to, you know, everything that everybody's hoping for, all the good people in the world are hoping for. Okay, so in the next section, we've got a passage from Megillus Esther. Okay, the Hashkot, Bihle, Zahab, the Kalim, Mikelim, the yain Malfut Rav, Ki, Kiyad Hamelach. Okay, so why are we looking at this? And it says in English, and they gave them drink and vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the bounty of the king. Okay, I just want to mention that this pasuk, when you go to hear the Megillah read, you will find that all of a sudden the tune. Changes and they use the same tune from Echa. In English, Echa is lamentations. Echa is the, the Megillah that we read on Tisha B'Av, written by Yirmiyahu, right? The prophet who, was, who kept admonishing the Jewish people during the first temple times to stop worshiping idols, to stop, they were guilty of the three big sins, right? Murder. Adultery and idolatry. And Yirmiyahu kept warning them, and of course, they didn't listen. And their first temple is destroyed. They're exiled to Babylon by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and wept. And they end up in Persia, and this is where the story takes place 70 years later, approximately. And we know the beginning of the Megillah is this incredible party that's going on for 180 days. It's a party where Ahasuerus is, you know, showing his wealth, showing his power. And he is the king of the whole world at that time. And at this party, he's invited everyone to come and he wants the Jews to come. He's made the party kosher. Okay, it's got the Hashkacha of Mordechai Hatzadek on it. He was the Mashkiach, okay, even though he didn't want them to come. But it was on that level of Kashmir's. And the, the, the story opens with the Jewish people going, of course, because they're living on the level of Teva, meaning, you know, this is the politically correct thing to do. If we don't go, it'll be bad for us. We'll be the only nation that doesn't show up. We got to do this. We've got to, you know, do this for the sake of, of the future of the Jewish people. And of course, we know the story that Mordechai tells them not to go. Now, why is this party so terrible? Why is this party the source of what will become the decree to annihilate the Jewish people? Because at this party for 180 days, the uh, commentators tell us that every day, Achashverosh would spring out to the party vessels that he had stolen from the Beit HaMikdash. So at this party... What they were celebrating was the demise of the Jewish people, the fact that the first temple had been destroyed, and even more than that, this party was celebrating the fact that this prophecy that all the non-Jews or non-Jewish kings knew about and took seriously, which was a prophecy that said after 70 years, the Jews are going to return to Israel and they're going to rebuild their second temple. So the predecessors to Achashverosh, Belshazzar and others, were busy counting the 70 years. And basically, they miscalculated and each one of them died. And Achashverosh, who's now the king, has also calculated these 70 years and throws this wild party to celebrate the fact that now the 70 years have passed. The prophecy has not come true. And therefore, he is king of the world. And the Jewish people will never retain their power. Now, can you imagine? This is the party that the Jewish people are going to, celebrating, enjoying, eating, and drinking. Literally, if you look at the Megillah, you'll see at this party, one of the letters, Kur, is capitalized. I mean, it's larger than the other letters. And the letter Ches, that's that's, that's made larger, is the number eight. Because it says that, Ahasuerus literally came out to the party wearing the clothing, the eight garments of the Kohain Gadol, okay, he dressed up for Purim before Purim even happened, but this is the party that the Jews were at and were celebrating, so here at this party we know, because of this party, Vashti ends up getting dethroned and decapitated Haman is the one who advises the king to do this, and he's promoted to the head, and Esther is set up because of Haman, who says, hey, why don't you have a beauty contest and pick a new queen, and all of this happens at this party. On the one hand, the beginning of the annihilation of the Jews, together with Esther being put in place to save the Jews to revo- revoke the decree. The decree not only that Achashverosh makes, but the decree that HaMelech, whenever it says HaMelech in the Megillah, it's always referring to the king of kings. That Hashem made the decree. Hashem stamped the decree. Whenever it says HaMelech Achashverosh, it's referring to Achashverosh. But what, just HaMelech by itself, it's always talking about Hashem. So as much as Hashem was hidden, Hashem was involved in this story in a very, obviously, as he's involved in everything, with every detail. So what was this all about? This is the power of Amalek for a Jew not to question his belief in God, because these were Jews who were keeping the Torah and doing mitzvah. But the biggest Amalek way that we are attacked is when we lose belief in ourselves. When we lose belief in the promise and this is the way the Jews felt at this time during this time in history, they felt dejected, they felt that Hashem was no longer connected to them, they felt that the relationship between they and Hashem that they were not worthy because of everything that had gone on before and that kind of despair and feeling of lowliness led them to go to this party because you know what Hashem doesn't really love me he doesn't really we we don't have that connection anymore I failed him and as I've said in other classes you know um, despair and depression is one of the ploys of the Yetzir it doesn't matter what I do it doesn't matter if I do the mitzvahs it doesn't matter what I got to worry about is you know playing my cards right politically, making sure I cozy up to the right people. You know, you know I got I to gotta be strategic. And that's how we're going to be saved. Not you know, not by Hashem, because Hashem doesn't care about us anymore. That's why we're in Gullus. That's why we're in exile. That's why our temple was destroyed, right? So the whole concept of tshuva or coming back to Hashem wasn't really there wasn't something they were thinking about, but rather just this dejection. And that's what made them go to the party. And that's, again, another voice of Amalek, of Sapheth. You know, the first one was, where are you, God? What's happening? You know, you're not here. And the second one is, you know, where am I? Where am I? I don't believe in myself. I don't believe anymore that Hashem loves me. I've given into this despair. Okay, that's another way that Amalek um, attacks us, okay, that we've lost our status. Okay, another thing I want to speak about when it comes to Amalek is to look at another place that Amalek appears, which is in the Parsha of, called Yisro, right, the Parsha that's called after Yitro, who was again, this convert to Judaism, he was the father-in-law of Moshe, and he was the convert par excellence, right? And that 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 a parsh is named after him is incredible. And basically on the very first pasuk in Parshis Yisra, it says, uh, B'yishma, uh sorry, let's see what we have here. Yeah. Bayishma yisro kohe midyan hos and mosha es kolasher the mosha uli yisra alamo kiotsi hashem as el mimitrayon. It says that Yisro, who was the priest of Midian, Moshe's father-in-law, heard everything that God had done for Moshe and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So he heard all about the sound and light show, the plagues, the way we came out of Egypt. And he, Rashi, asked the question, what did Yisro hear that made him come and join the Jewish people? What was it that he heard that spurred him to become a convert? And the answer that Rashi gives is that he heard about the splitting of the sea and the attack by Amalek. Now, Amalek, of course, if you, well, if you look a little bit further down, what did Amalek do? He heard about how Amalek, what he did to you on the way when you were going out of Egypt, source 4, How he happened upon you on the way and struck those of you who were hindmost. All that were feeble in the rear when you were faint and weary. And he didn't fear God. This is what Amalek heard about. Now, it's an interesting thing that basically, you know, we understand the splitting of the sea. Because the Mechilta, the Medrash, teaches us that everybody in the entire world heard about the sea splitting. This was on the front page of every newspaper. Everybody was blown away by the fact that the Jews went through the sea. The Egyptians were drowned in the sea, right? This was an incredible experience for the whole world of God's power and his hashkacha, his supervision over the Jewish people, taking them out and making them his nation. This was our birth right? We left Egypt. It was like a birth, you know, the, the word Mitzrayim is Mitzar, narrow. It's like the birth passage, right? We came out of labor by our, and we were born, right? And that trek from Egypt until Mount Sinai is our birth process until we receive the Torah. But the point is, is the Medrash tells us that the entire world was afraid of the Jewish people, If you read the Song of the Sea, it talks about, which I had to read inside, it talks about how all the nations of the world trembled. They were gripped with fear. Everybody knew you don't mess with these people, except for one nation, Amalek. And the, the parable that is given about Amalek, as many of you probably heard, is that there was this scalding hot bathtub. That's what the Jewish people were to everybody in the world. Don't touch them. Okay. And Amalek jumps into the bathtub. He gets scalded. But he cools off the bathtub for everybody else. So Yisro heard about the splitting of the sea, But what I want to focus on is why did the attack of Amalek make him come? So what so learned from Amalek is that inspiration is great, but inspiration doesn't last. Amalek is the paradigm for the cooling off that comes after inspiration. In other words, right now, everybody's so amazed by the Jewish people and they're going through the sea and all the miracles. But it won't take long until all of that becomes, you know, well, yeah. But, you know, there was an east wind blowing at the time that the sea was splitting. Says it very clearly in the Torah, an east wind was blowing. So, you know what? It wasn't God. It was the east wind. I mean, there's natural forces that could make this happen. We can explain this scientifically. Don't get so excited. Okay? Okay. Yisra understood that this is what's going to happen to him if he doesn't get up and come and do something and take that inspiration and put it into action. Because Amalek is that part of us or that force in the world that says, don't get so excited. It, it, you know, it was random. It wasn't a, It wasn't God, you know. It wasn't an is is it odd or is it God moment, you know, it was, it was the east wind. And basically what happens to all of us is we get cooled off. At the time of the inspiration, we're convinced that the impact will never leave us. But we have to be smart because we know that emotions don't last. You know, everybody talked about how you're going to be different after COVID, how everybody's going to change after COVID, how everything's going to, right? And that was a whole discussion. Or is it going to be back to business as usual? Amalek is the back to business as usual. You know, it was a great feeling. I was inspired, but now I'm back to business as usual. This is Amalek. Azahu hacham. Who is the wise person? The one who sees the future. The answer, haroes hanola. The one who sees the future. A person who gets inspired, you have to know. It's not going to last. So take that inspiration and put it into something. That's what we learned from Yisro. And we learned that Amalek is a counterforce to wanting us to do that. Oh, don't worry, this inspiration will... Uh, fade away right and all the nations of the world we jumped into the bathtub for them will come and jump in after us and start up with the Jewish people again but Yisra said no I'm not going to let that happen don't let yourself go back to business and I'll tell you a story maybe I told it in another class about a girl who was on a march of the living with her father And this girl was a teenager. And of course, anybody who's been on those trips, I haven't had the merit to go on one, but anybody who's been there and seen things up close, of course, you can't help but be torn apart emotionally. And of course, this girl was crying and she was emotional and she was very upset. And she was there with her father and she was very um, disturbed by her father's lack of emotion. He didn't seem to be moved. Everybody else was torn, you know, crying and this and that and he didn't. But what she told Dina Schoonmaker is that he leaned over at one point in the trip and he said, you know, I think I'm gonna dove in with a minion from now on. Okay, they were mildly religious or religious enough, but this was something that he just mentioned to his daughter. So she wasn't that impressed. She was still uh, you know, an emotional teenager and felt like, okay, but you know, why aren't you moved like everybody else? Anyway, what she said is that, you know, after the trip, you know, after a few weeks after the trip, she'd open up her photo album and she'd look at the pictures from the trip and she'd get all choked up and she'd start crying again, thinking about what she had witnessed. And then she said, you know, a few months went by and she'd open up the photo album again and she'd look at it and think about intellectually how terrible it is, what happened to the Jewish people. how horrible it is. And then she said, You know, a year went by. She looked at the pictures and it didn't evoke that much emotion anymore. She said, But her father was davening every day with a minion because of that trip, because he took his emotions and he moved them to his seichel right? And he said, What am I going to do with this inspiration? What am I going to do with this emotion? How am I going to put it into a mitzvah so that it lasts, right? How am I going to put it into a mitzvah so that it has a cave, has khalim, it has a vessel that that emotion gets put into something that's forever and that changes me and that is always linked to my experience there. And that's the idea of this idea is that when we're moved emotionally and inspirationally, just like Yisro, when we put it into a mitzvah, it has a kium, it, it, it has a foundation, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's real. It doesn't just dissipate and vanish as inspiration does. You know, even in the secular world, they say, you know, success is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration, right? So, you know... Without the doing, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have a reality. Okay, so this is the other idea that Amalek doesn't want us to put things into reality to make it real through doing the mitzvot, right? The mitzvot are Hashem's way of saying, you physical human being, you can do things with your body, with your hands, with every part of your body to connect yourself to that which is spiritual, to make it real, right? My Rebison used to say, Judaism is a religion where you have to have your feet on the ground and your head in the sky. In other religions, you put your head in the sky and your feet start lifting off of the ground because the physical world, the material world, you know, you gotta get away from it in order to connect to the spiritual. Judaism says, no, I want, God says, I want your feet on the ground. I want your physical self involved, making challah, lighting candles, giving tzedakah, helping the old lady across the street, right? Staying away from this or that, whatever it is, if it's a negative mitzvah. And that's how you have me in mind all the time. That's how you become very, very spiritual, by having your feet on the ground, Right? That's why, by the way, Purim is a holier holiday than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim, a day like Purim. Now, could you have two days in the year that are more different? But yet Yom Kippur is a day like Purim. It's, It's compared to Purim. Purim obviously is the higher one. Because Yom Kippur only compares itself to Purim. Why is Purim greater? Because basically Yom Kippur is a day when we leave our bodies behind. We fast, we don't put cream on ourselves, we don't wear leather shoes, which are a sign of, you know, man's strength, what a power over the earth, right? Walking on leather shoes. We reach God spiritually. We're like angels. In Judaism, we say this is easy. Much more difficult is to indulge and engage in the physical world, which is a day of physicality, right? We eat, we drink, we're with people, we eat together. We send presents to each other. We're busy giving money to the poor. It's a day of action. It's a day of the physical body. It's a day of indulgence, a day of getting drunk even. And God says, I want your physical self to be devoted to me. I want you to take all the material and connect to me through that. And that obviously is much more difficult than being in a setting, than going to live on a mountain, than removing yourself from other people who aggravate you, okay? Um, You know, who aren't aren't helping you clean up from the Suda or whatever, right? It's much more difficult. So that's the idea here. Okay, and, and you know, I just want to tell you a beautiful story that I heard from a woman who gave a class, um, Hanalea Rappaport. She's a teacher in Base Yaakov, a history teacher, but she and her family, her father is Rabbi Mandel. They've been involved with Soviet Jewry for over 30 years. Since she was a little girl, she was going every summer to camp, to run camps in Russia, in Ukraine, for Jewish kids, and a lot of what's been built up there other than Chabad, which is also done a lot, are these camps that she has worked on with her family. And she's been in touch with some of her campers clandestinely all over the phone. But she said that she was in one of the kosher stores and she was filling up her cart because she was sending food to Poland through somebody getting it through to the Ukraine. And her cart was filled up to the brim and somebody said to her in the store, you can't that can't be for you and she said no it's I'm sending it on and the woman said I want to pay for it and she paid for the whole thing and then as she was going through the cash that guy who owned the store came out with a check for a few hundred dollars and said here this is for Ukraine so again people who are moved people who are inspired putting that mitzvah into something real Okay, and the last point that we want to talk about, how are we doing with time? The last point that we want to talk about is what we read on Parsha Zahor, which is this idea that what Amalek represents, again, the idea of doubt, you know, the idea of, you know, everything is coincidence. Everything is random. There's no order in this world. And the word here, asher korcha, how he happened upon you on the way. So interestingly, I didn't mention this, but the word korcha has the word cold in it, Core, right? That he made you cold. That's the idea that he jumped into the hot bathtub and he cooled it off. And he made everybody who was inspired say, eh, maybe not so impressive, right? Ah, Maybe not such a big deal. What am I getting so excited about? Let it fade away. Let me do nothing. Okay. So that's Korcha, but Korcha also means to happen. And interestingly, I didn't know this, but the word happy comes from the word happen. Because, you know, people think of happiness as as it comes and it goes, you know, sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. But we know, you know, with positive psychology, and of course, Judaism says the same words for besimcha are the same words, machshava. your thoughts, that happiness is a decision. It's not random. It's not sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. It depends on the mood. It depends on the weather. It depends who rubbed me the wrong way. It depends, you know, whether I won the lottery today or it's still, yeah, I'm still in the hole, you know? Happiness is a decision, but Amalek is that power that says things happen, there's no rhyme or reason, it's all random, this world is a place of chaos. And of course, again, back to the Megillah, right? That's how it felt when they were going through it. You can imagine how Esther, who's the heroine of the story, right? There's no happily ever after for her when the poem story ends. She's still married to this Prosta anti-Semite, Achashverosh, who's probably a psychopath and a control freak on top of it, okay? And, you know, we're celebrating Purim and the Jews are happy that everything turned around, but she still has to live her life. And she has to find the imuna within that life that didn't change, right? And the point is, is that, what Amalek says and tries to tell us is there's no, everything is happenstance, but what Judaism says is even what, what, what they call coincidences, right, which is a way of not being, having to believe in God. Oh, it was a coincidence. Oh, it was a coincidence. We say is Hashem's way of doing miracles anonymously. Every coincidence is Hashem's way of doing miracles anonymously? Because Hashem doesn't like to do miracles, he doesn't like to show himself like that. He hides. Coincidences again are God's way of doing miracles anonymously. So either, and I wrote it down, see everything as you can see this. well, as mikra, which means it just happened. Mikra, that's the word, or you can rearrange those same letters and understand Rak Mehashem. Everything is only from Hashem. And I want to end, ladies, with a parable of a righteous sorry, a legend, a legend of a righteous person, a tzadi, who saw a leaf who saw a leaf falling from, from a tree. And he asked the leaf, why did you fall from the tree? And the leaf said, um, well, I didn't make a decision to fall. I'm not the master of my own fate. But um, you know, what happened is that um, the, the branch shook and I fell. So the tzaddik asks asks the branch, he says, branch, why did you shake? And the branch says, well, I, you know, I didn't decide to shake. But what happened is the wind came and the wind blew me and I shook. And that's how the leaf fell off. So the tzaddik asks the wind, wind, why did you blow? And the wind answers and says, well, I didn't choose to blow. But the malach, this malach came, an angel, and instructed me that I should start blowing. So the tzaddik goes to the angel and he says to the angel, angel, why did you tell the wind to blow? And the angel said, listen, I just obey orders. I don't have any free will. God himself told me to instruct the wind to blow, which made the branch shake and made the leaf fall to the ground. And so the tzaddik goes to Hashem and he says, Hashem, God, why did you tell the angel to instruct the wind to blow so that the branch would shake and the leaf would fall. And God answers. And he said, you know, there was a small worm at the bottom of the tree and the midday sun was scorching hot. And so I told the wind, I told the Malach to tell the wind to blow and the the wind to shake the branch. And then the branch would make the leaf fall off and that leaf fell down and it covered that worm at the bottom of the branch that was suffering in the noonday sun. So this is the kind of hashkacha pratis of divine providence that is part of the Jewish mindset even to this degree that if God is worried and taking care of a little worm at the bottom of the tree and deciding how to get that leaf to cover it, right? How much more so, called the Homer, as we say, is God involved in each one of our lives? And even though, you know, we're in the middle of our stories, just as they were in the Purim story, and it's so difficult for us to see God's hand sometimes, and so difficult for us to connect the dots, each one of us is writing the Megillah of our life and each one of us is going to be able to look back at different times in our life if we're lucky we can do it while we're still alive right and even at different times in our life I know for me you know when I became from I was I was very much able to in those quiet sort of contemplative moments I remember when I was studying in in, in Israel To just see how one, you know, how the dots connected to lead me to where I was at that point in my life, in that place in my life of, you know, returning completely and fully to my Jewish soul, to my Jewish essence, to the practice of Judaism in a real way, in a way that's alive as a spiritual path, which I never dreamed that Judaism was spiritual in any way. It was all about what you wore to shul and what car you were driving and, you know, who was dressed in the fanciest studs. And it had nothing to do with spirituality. You'd have to go to the Eastern religions if you wanted to find anything to do with spiritual. And so, you know, this this revelation and the dots that I saw led me to where I was in Israel studying in this place, which I used to call Club Club Med for the soul. Wow, I'm in club Med for the soul. This is incredible. This is where I always wanted to be. You know, this is where you get real happiness, real joy, real uh, shlemas, real sense of completion of yourself and how everything was tailor-made to get you to where you needed to go, right? And God was gently and sometimes not so gently pushing you in that direction as he's pushing all of us, right, that that we should be constantly growing. And as long as we remember that, and this is the last part of Amalek, right, Amalek is attacking Israel, the Jewish people at this point. They're in a place called Rafidim, which means weakness. And the, the Mephoshim say they were weak. Why were they weak? They were weak in terms of learning Torah. They weren't learning Torah. And it's a message for us today that when we're not learning Torah, we're weak. And that's when Amalek attacks us, right? We know it's also when we're not unified that Amalek attacks us, right? In the Megillah, Haman comes to Achashverosh, and when he wants to get Achashverosh to annihilate the Jewish people, he says, there's a people in, our, in your kingdom who are scattered all over the place. And basically what he was saying to them is the Jews are not unified, we can destroy them. But the other part here is that it says that when Amalek back in the Torah was attacking the Jewish people, whenever Moshe held his hands up, Israel prevailed. And whenever he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. So this is really strange, right? If we read it on a very simple level, What is this? Magic? Hocus Pocus. Whenever Moses held his hand up, we know that Moses' arms got heavy and he needed Yehoshua and Hur to help him hold his hands up, right? Physically from the exertion. And whenever his hands came down, Amalek prevailed. But this is symbolic. It's metaphoric. It's saying whenever the Jewish people understand that they need to look up, That they have to understand it's not about you know political strategizing and making sure you don't offend the king and making sure you do all the right things and then you'll be able to stay alive. But rather, it's about when you believe in Hashem and you understand that Hashem is the one who keeps us alive, who is pulling the strings all the time. It says the hearts of kings are in the hands of God, that they're just God is just constantly pulling their puppets' strings. And it all depends on how close and how much we believe in our mission in this world and how much we believe that Hashem loves us more than we can love ourselves and believes in us more than we believe in ourselves, that we will prevail and that we will root out not only the amalek, the evil that is all around us in this world, but the source of the evil, which is this suffate, That is within all of us, right? That we have to root out. This suffix is, is Hashem really with me? Where did you go, Hashem? Is Hashem really with us or not? Or the second idea. Yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe he believes in me. I don't believe in myself. Or the third idea. Yeah, I get inspired and inspiration is great. But don't get too excited about it, Amalek says. Don't do anything about it. Because I love Jews that are emotional, that, get, that are proud, that eat their bagels and cream cheese. I love those Jews. I love it because they don't do anything that's real right? They say, oh, you know, you don't have to worry about pig anymore, because it was trichinosis in the olden days. And some of the mitzvahs aren't relevant anymore. And you know, when God wrote the Torah, it was different back then. And Amalek likes that. Because Jews that are not serious about their Judaism, they're not a threat. They're not doing anything. Again, I don't want to say that, of course, everybody's doing and everything that people do counts. But I'm saying if it's not connected to doing it because God said so, not because it makes me feel good to give tzedakah, not because it makes me feel good to help the old lady across the street. And when I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to do the parts that I like. I'm only going to do the parts that are comfortable. Amalek's very happy with that. Be a Jew in the heart. That's good. But don't do anything. That's what Yisro understood when he came and he joined the people. Amalek says, cool it. Jewish education is not information. It's transformation. It's a spiritual path. It's a derech. It's halakha. Halacha comes from the word lalechet. To go, to walk. How many Jews prefer the path of Eastern religions or the path of wellness? Or the path of, you know, um, what's, what's the whole thing today of um, new age, right? Or self-help. Or the path of positive psychology, the path of Ju- uh, humanistic Judaism. It's beautiful. But we have a path. It's thousands of years old. Our boobies and Zadis have been walking on it for thousands of years. It's what's kept the Jewish people alive. Rafidim was a place where they were weak in Torah. And that's when Amalek attacked. Because don't get too serious about the Torah. Don't get too serious about your spiritual path. Then we can be strong. Because one thing we know. And we've been taught. And it comes to us from the Torah. When Yaakov is up. Esav is down. It's like a teeter-totter. And when Esav is up the Jewish people are down. And this is the story of the Megillah. The Megillah begins with Yaakov way down and Esav in its supremacy and ascendancy. And we say about Purim Nahafochu that God turned everything upside down. Right there in the seeds of destruction were the seeds of salvation. And what happened is Yaakov, by the end of the Megillah, after nine years of fear and terror at what was going to be, right? God had decreed it. The Jews are going to be annihilated, right? Everything turned upside down. Why? Because we acted. We did Shuva. We came back to our true mission in this world. We woke up before it was too late. And that's always the call. That's always the call to us in every generation is to be able to realign ourselves so that we don't have to need need Amalek and anti-Semitism to come and wake us up to what our calling is in this world, as individuals and as a people, or Lagoyim, a light to the nations. Our light is the light of Torah. Our light is the light of Emunah. And that light, by the way, the reason that we're gonna have forums forever and ever, now I'm going over time, is because it says that we're living in a very dark world, the Mashal says. And those of us who are walking in the light of Torah, it's like we have this little candle that we walk with through this dark jungle. And because of that little candle, we can make out the the pitfalls and the obstacles on the way. And we can watch out for the potholes and everything else with this candle. But when Mashiach comes, what's going to happen is the dawn will break, right? ayelah HaShachar the Tehillim that we say on Purim that's um, associated with Queen Esther she talks about the dawn that the darkest time of night the dawn comes after the darkest time of night, the morning star comes right after the moment when the night is the completely at its darkest which is the time we're living in. But when we take that little candle, when the dawn begins to break, all of a sudden the dawn and the light that comes into the world will be so bright. It will be the light that was there at creation, right, that was hidden. We said it was hidden in the Torah. It was hidden for tzaddikim. It will shine and it will be brighter than the sun. It will be a light that is a completely spiritual light. We'll blow out our little candle, Because we won't need it anymore. But the fact that we held it during those dark times and we made the effort to have Emuna and stay with it, even though it was black all around us, those muscles that we flex, those spiritual muscles that we flex, will never ever leave us. And that's what we'll remember the hard work that we did when it was so dark and that Hashem really loved us for doing because of course Hashem is with us in the darkness he knows our pain he knows our difficulties he knows our challenges better than we know them but he loves any kind of effort we make to have thoughts of emuna to recognize nothing is random that everything in our lives has a reason and that we're part of this incredible story of the Jewish people And God willing, we should see it unfold very quickly and easily without pain and suffering for the world around us and for ourselves and our personal lives, for our loved ones. And we should, God willing, walk in that light very soon. Thank you for joining me. Amen. Thank you so much.